I don't want us to go back to normal. I, I don't want us to go back to business as usual. Our schools weren't equitable before we went into a, uh, COVID-19. So how do we change things? This is a great opportunity. Welcome to TG2Cast. I'm Arthur Caravelli, co-founder of Teachers Going Gradeless. In this episode, I interview Dr. Sheldon Akins. Dr. Akins is the founder of the Leading Equity Center and is host of the Leading Equity Podcast. In his career, he has served as a teacher, principal, and director of special education. Dr. Akins has a passion for helping educators accomplish equitable practices in their schools. I just wanted to give you a chance to introduce yourself. You have had a very multifaceted career in a lot of different places, a lot of different roles. Uh, can you kind of give us a nutshell of where you've been and, and where you are now? Sure. Yeah, I... Um... That's an interesting question, Arthur. So I, initially, my first teaching job was in the Virgin Islands. So I've, I've lived in the U.S. Mm. Virgin Islands, St. Croix to be exact, the island, and uh, taught there for a couple of years. And then I ended up moving back to the States. I mean, I love living on the island, but I'm a city guy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I miss the States. I miss the mainland. And yeah. so we relocated to Florida. Um, and then I served some time as a school principal. Uh, actually three years of being a school principal while I was working on my doctorate and eventually found my way in Idaho where I am, um, you know, initially I was working at the university. I figured, you know, you get your doctorate, you get your PhD, you need to become a, you know, work in higher ed, become a professor, all that stuff. So that was what I was aspiring to do. But then I really realized that I miss the kids. I miss being Mm -hmm. with students, K-12 level, full time. And so about a year, I guess it's like two years now, uh, I moved back into K-12. And so currently I live in Idaho. I work on a Native American reservation and Mm -hmm. as the special education director. Okay. And is this for all the schools in that district or is this um, at a, at a certain level? Well, on the reservation, there is one tribal school. Um, There's, there's a, there's a a couple district. Well, there's a, yeah, there's an elementary school, but um, my school is tribally operated. And so it's a, uh, let's see, it's sixth through 12th grade school. So okay. it's a it's a district and uh, school all in one, and so oh, I wow. wear two hats. So I'm, I'm I do the district level reporting and report to the Bureau of Indian Education. In addition to locally, I work with the students uh, with my team. Amazing. Well, so you are the found, and additionally, you are the founder of the Leading Equity Center, and mm-hmm. uh, you can find that leadingequitycenter.com. And and I hate to say it, um, but the word equity gets thrown around a lot these days. I I read a tweet from a white educator, Christy Knoll, just over the last couple of days, who tweeted, if you've learned to say the word equity, but aren't ready to say the words Black Lives Matter, you know nothing of equity. And and I think Mm -hmm. sometimes with certain educators, and, and usually white ones, the word resonates sometimes as sort of an all lives matter kind of sentiment at times. Um, Mm -hmm. I just want, I want to get your definition. How do you define equity and how do we make sure that it maintains that, that, that urgency and that radical focus and that it doesn't just become another buzzword or checklist in education? You know, that's a good question. And I actually appreciate that quote that was, that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. I hadn't come across it, but I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, if, if see in a nutshell, Equity is basically ensuring that each student, 
not all mm-hmm. students, but each student gets their individual needs met. So yes. when we're talking about equality, and, and I think a lot of times these these words get mixed up or miscon- mm-hmm. misunderstood, equality versus equity. Equality is giving everybody the same thing. So for right. example, if I give everybody a pair of shoes, then that's equality, right? Everybody gets a right. pair of shoes. But if all of those shoes that I gave out are size three and they're <laughs> high heels, then it's obviously that's not going to fit everybody's foot, right? So you're exactly. going to have people who, first of all, don't want to wear high heels. You're going to have right. people that don't uh, don't wear a size three. Maybe they wear a size five mm-hmm. or whatever. So that's the equity piece. Okay, what does this right. person need? What size shoe do you need? What do you like? What, what shoe do you like? And giving them the shoes based off of what they need. I mean, we have students who, uh, for example, you know, within that same example, I mean, you have people who maybe they don't have legs. I don't know. There could be all kind of different situations that we have to attend to. And so that's the equity part of, of education. So when we think about, um, the individual needs and I work in special education right now. And so, you know, I think about my students' individual needs, their IEPs, and what does it say in their plan? Or my 504 students, what does it say in their plans and what do they need? Our emerging multilingual students, there spe- are spe- specific things that they need, um, but sometimes we operate with this one-size-fits-all approach and we say, oh, everybody should be able to do this, and we're not necessarily thinking about ability levels and thinking about, okay, um, yes, I gave out this assignment to a student or to my students, but uh, it does require that student to go home and do some research online. Maybe they don't have access right. to the internet, or maybe they're not the best typers uh, for whatever reason. Maybe there is some sort of a modification that needs to happen. And so when we yeah. forget about those little things, then mm-hmm. that's when we, we fall into seeing our students start to have these uh, academic gaps where mm-hmm. uh, they're not as successful, which they could be if we gave them the right tools to thrive. Right. So, you know, what I'm hearing there is, is equity is, is not just one thing that it has a lot of facets. I mean, as many, as, as many facets as there are students uh, that you need to tend to as educators. And, and I, I want to kind of direct people toward a great document I found very helpful on your website, 10 simple steps to get you started on a right path toward leading equity, um, different aspects of what equity means. Uh, obviously, you've answered this question for years um, under more "quote unquote" ordinary circumstances. <laughs> this this predicament, you know, of COVID nineteen throws yet another wrench in the work, and you've been tackling this aspect as well. Um, I do want our listeners to check out your site because there there's an abundance of guidance on this topic already. But based on what you saw and have seen at the end of this year. What are some of the elements of equity that are most endangered right now? And and how do we start preparing ourselves? I mean, this was an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. How do we start preparing ourselves to address those needs in the fall? So full disclaimer, and I think yeah. we should we should start with this, Arthur. Yeah. Is sure. Before COVID so COVID nineteen didn't bring uh, a lot of the challenges that we're we're seeing, right? I think right now we're we're talking about things more, but 
our kids have been dealing with access to Wi-Fi and, and devices way before our schools closed down abruptly. Uh, our Absolutely. students have been dealing with food insecurities, job uncertainties, trauma, social emotional supports. All these things have been around. It's just, yes. I, you know, sometimes myself, for example, like, you know, I, I, I say these things over and over and over again. And it's like, it's, it's you know, it's, it's like it, it doesn't sometimes it feels like it doesn't hit until someone else says it or you just actually can experience it because if we don't particularly experience some of the challenges some of the barriers that our kids are facing if we haven't right. been raised that way if we haven't personally been tied to it either we one don't pay attention to it or two uh, we could care less because it doesn't impact us. So right. I think now as we're looking at COVID-19 and we saw all this emergency closures of school and everyone's transitioning mm -hmm. to online school or trying to do packets, um, you know, trying to provide all the support now, it's like, yeah, welcome. Yeah, it, it's, it's been here. <laughs> <laughs> welcome right. to the club, right? And so I think the first initial things that I started noticing when it came to equity issues, especially as we were trying to transition so quickly, I mean, we had to consider that how online learning is happening. I mean, and let's, and let's be real, Arthur, right. what we have going on right now mm -hmm. is not necessarily adequate online instruction. I mean, we got mm -hmm. teachers with little to no training thrown into uh, maybe a week in, week's notice in advance asked to right. provide a rigorous course online um, and transition their whole entire, re you know, remaining curriculum. I mean, that's, that's a tough act yeah. for anybody. It, and, it's and I a know whole domain of pedagogy, really, that mm -hmm. people have, you know, years of training in. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. So our, our teachers are doing their best. So, so sh you know, kudos to our educators, myself included, that has been forced <laughs> to transition to, I mean, how do I do IEPs over the phone and all these things I've been trying to figure out. And so kudos to all the educators out there that are working on this and our leaders that are working on this. And so I think, I think we did our best. But yes. now I also think that we have time to really think about what we can do, what education could look like going forward because I don't want us to go back to normal. I, I don't want us mm. to go back to business as usual. Our schools weren't equitable before we went into a, uh, COVID-19. So how do we change right. things? This is a great opportunity. And honestly, where I'm at, I really believe that we need to start with looking at our social emotional supports that we have for our students. You mm -hmm. have kids that are going to be months without uh, interacting with students, uh, their mm -hmm. classmates, their teachers, the, the school community, the principal, uh, being at home, the anxiety, the fear, folks that have dealt with trauma, students whose parents have divorced or separated during this time because we're all going crazy and trying <laughs> to, you know, all of these different is instances and issues. I mean, loved ones they might have lost and the grieving process for anybody that's personally impacted by COVID-19. So my, right. my thought is when we get back to school, we need to really focus on uh, supporting the social and emotional, the mental health services for our students. That's to me, priority number one. Uh, I know yes. it's tempting for us to want to test and assess our kids and see where they're at and see where, uh, you know, what we need to do to get them caught up and all that stuff. I don't think that's where we need to focus. I need, mm -hmm. I think we need to really start with making sure our students and not only our students, but are also our staff because 
you know, our staff, our teachers have, have been dealing with their own issues at home as well during these times. And yes. making sure that our, our, the mental state is there. What's the, what's the, what's the uh, quote, you know, Maslow before bloom. Uh, right. I, I think that is the most important right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I see, I see a lot of the discourse um, kind of not focused on that. I, I see a lot of, um, you know, talking about and even in some cases geeking out about tools and platforms and apps, et cetera, you know, in terms of transitioning into this new normal, whatever it's going to be. Um, you know, it seems like maybe a few too many people jumping on this super optimistic bandwagon about, you know, this new normal. But I haven't seen a lot of interrogation of these things from the standpoint of equity, imagining that there's going to be some technology dimension to this new normal. Um, you know, so as we think about transitioning our curriculum into whatever that's going to be, mm-hmm. um, what else do you think we need to think about in terms of ensuring access? And perhaps maybe you even got a few of these things online, you know, in your own school um, to create those sustaining environments, you know, so um, socio-emotional sustaining, culturally sustaining environments that you advocate for. I, for one, am not terribly optimistic about the results from this year. And, and frankly, a lot of the discourse going forward, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to that socio-emotional uh, social, um, aspect, what else do we need to keep in mind um, you know, especially as we as as we consider the fact that we may need to do, you know, some form of distance learning again. What are you know, some of the things that we need to consider? You know, and, and that's a good question, because, I mean, we're recording this May 29th and most of our schools aren't going to be open for, for another three months. Right. So what I say right, right now uh it could easily change and my mindset i'm always open to change in these times because we 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 don't know what it's going to look like in august so it's really hard to plan so usually when i do webinars and and some of the materials and and information that i've been sending out it's kind of like both it's like okay if your if your school is open let's go this way (laughs) if your school is still closed and we're online Let's go this way. Here's some things. Well, and I, I so appreciate that about you. I mean, you you jumped right in, and I I mean, I think actually about the guidance from uh, who was it the who the the WHO director World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we wait, we're gonna we're we're gonna be in trouble. We need to we need to act. We need to maybe make some mistakes in this process, but we got to jump right in. And I think you've jumped into this discussion with both feet. But but anyways, what are some of the other things that you think we need to keep in mind? You know, not knowing entirely what this is all going to look like. Um, but if there is going to be a distance component or a technological component, um, you know, in terms of equity, what do we what do we need to be aware of there? You know, I would start with, you know, first of all, if we're going online, then we need to make sure that the digital divide is addressed and we can't leave yeah. it there either. Um, so, no. okay, everyone has a Wi-Fi, has hotspots and everyone has a device. We're good to go. No, no, that's again, no. We're, we're still discussing equality. Everyone has the the access to a Wi-Fi and, and a Chromebook or whatnot. It's okay. That's a good step forward. But there's so many different variables that we cannot control. I live in rural Idaho. Um, mm-hmm. Internet access, yes, there are internet providers here, but honestly, it's not the best. Some of it's slow. 
there's peak times, you know, depending on how many people are logged in and all that stuff. Um, right. You know, so we, there's some things that are beyond our control. So we have to take into account the, okay, just because we gave them resources doesn't mean that that's it. Uh, you know, we, we have to think about uh, students, especially our younger ones who need assistance. You know, they're used to having a teacher to ask yeah. questions and, and be able to help them. Uh, if there's reading support or if there's math support, uh, those things may not be available in the house. Um, you know, sometimes I've seen teachers provide like worksheets and they mm-hmm. assume that our students have crayons and markers and color pencils at home or scissors mm-hmm. at home. And so the assignments require them to utilize those utensils and Mm -hmm. we forget that yeah those things are at school right now and and they may not necessarily be readily available at home so again we have to kind of think beyond access and think more Mm -hmm. on okay what does each child need in order for them to be successful in this Mm -hmm. process so again if we're going online less is more so Mm. you know i've seen teachers basically try to fit a normal school day, like if they were in class <laughs> in a online setting, <laughs> we can't do that. We, we yeah. can't do that. I mean, there's so many different things that are come along with that. I mean, there's transition times, there is, you know, recess, there's lunch, there's, you know, a lot of, you know, a regular school day is structured. There's bells and okay. The kids get conditioned to knowing, okay, when the bell rings, I go, you know, I have five minutes to go here to here. Uh, that's not necessarily the structure that we have in a lot of our homes. I'm one no. of those people. I was a homeschool parent and I'll kid, I like, I'm trying to work full time. I didn't have a, okay, eight o'clock, you do this nine o'clock, you do that. I didn't have that. It was more of, right. okay, here's your work, son. It was an, and my kids are, are elementary first and fourth grade. And then it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, go at it. And I remember the first day, <laughs> the first day, my son's first grader, I gave him the lesson plan because my son can read. So he, he can okay. read pretty good. I think he's reading like fourth level or fourth grade level or something like this. So I said, Oh, I'll just give him the lesson plans and, and I'll walk away and, <laughs> and I'll, I'll go work on my work. And I realized after two minutes later and he comes down into my office, daddy, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I'm realizing, Oh my goodness, you can't just give a first grader their work and walk away. You literally have to sit here and teach them. And so right. we have to keep all those things in mind. Yeah. My kids have the privilege to have an educator in their family with a, a PhD who's who's taught all levels and, and has been there. Yeah. But how many kids don't have that? How many kids don't yeah. have a parent who has an education background with the basic understanding of pedagogy? Uh, I, I, I That's not the case for everyone. So yeah. even when we start thinking about online school, we have to bring our parents in and, and ask them, for feedback for how this semester yes. or this quarter has been going. It's like, what were your thoughts? And not just a survey. Mm-hmm. Cause I know we love to throw surveys out to people, yes. but can we talk to them? Like actually talk to someone and say, Hey, how did it go? What would you suggest? What would you like to see if we go into the fall? Um, I don't want us to make all these plans on our own and just kind of pull in our teachers that our parents as well, and just get that feedback. No, I think we really need to, 
to investigate how things went because we all know that it was a, a lot of this was abrupt, but we have to really get the feedback from parents and say, okay, what would make life easier for you? Mm. You know, I, I recognize that you're working uh, full, you know, a lot of parents might be working at home still. Some of them might be out. Um, and you know, what can, what would make things more useful for you and helpful for you? How can we engage you more? Uh, and what do you need to know? And I just given simple, you know, training on Bloom's techno taxonomy, just kind of helping them with a little bit of structure, maybe uh, provide a little bit of training on some of the platforms and resources that students are supposed to log into, maybe giving them a list of their login information, all those little basic tools that may not have happened because we were right. so in a rush to try to finish the school year. We didn't want to close our schools. We didn't want to, you know, waste a whole semester and all that stuff. Uh, so we just threw stuff together, but really taking the time to, to provide some proper training and feedback. This is sort of the negative side and, and things that we need to be prepared for. I think I, I just wonder on the more optimistic side, is there anything that you've seen happening educationally, pedagogically during this pandemic that actually you feel has maybe removed some of the usual barriers to equity? <laughs> you, you hear the long pause because I'm really thinking, Arthur, I'm really <laughs> trying to think of, okay, what has worked? <laughs> Um, can I, can I, throw I would, one think, out I, I would, actually, I would say, at, at the, go ahead, go for it, go for it. Okay. Well, I know. Okay. So one that I, that I actually, one that I was kind of interested on your website and, and one of the podcasts that you mm -hmm. did was test testing. And I don't know about mm -hmm. you, but you know, with the exception of the total fiasco that what the college board went through this year, most testing mm -hmm. has been canceled. And, yeah. and I know you had a podcast episode entitled How to Be a Culturally Responsive Teacher While Preparing for High Stakes Testing. And, yeah. and you know, while I appreciated a lot of the insights that Dr. Melody Zock shared within that interview, it occurs to me that it's actually kind of a lot easier, you know, potentially to be culturally responsive and focused on social justice when you're not preparing students for high stakes tests. And, yeah. and you know, as I was thinking through this possible question, um, you know, I, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi wrote an article mm -hmm. where he made the claim, quote, standardized tests have become the most effective racist weapon ever devised to objectively degrade black minds and, and legally exclude their bodies. Now, obviously, that's a big claim. And I think Kendi's article makes a great case for the oppressive role that tests have played. But have you experienced any of that? I mean, I, I don't know how many of those tests are still around or have you tried to conduct them in some way, shape or form? Uh, to me, not having them on the horizon has opened things up, you know, potentially. And obviously, we're still within this kind of crisis learning. So I don't think we were able to jump on that quite as much as we, we, we might like, but potentially... You know, is is that something that we can carry forward into the future from this experience that might make it easier? 
I mean, think about the pressure that re- it relieves a teacher mm-hmm. when the accountability part is out, where they're not teaching to the test and feeling like, oh, I have to basically spend, you know, the I have these standards, but then I have this assessment that needs to be done. And I, I need my kids to graduate or not graduate, but I need them to pass in order right. to, to move on and get promoted. And, you know, my job might depend on that as well. So imagine mm-hmm. the, the relief and pressure. And I yeah. hope. I hope that next school year, um, the states will do the same and and mm-hmm. and follow suit and and not provide these testing standards because, uh, I mean, we have to be honest with months of inadequate teaching and we already were talking about an achievement gap prior to going into COVID nineteen and the how that achievement gap is going to widen, um, how mm-hmm. a lot of the initial time maybe even the first month or two of school will be spent on either developing school you know community again re-engaging our communities and and then spending some time on academic support uh there's so many things happening that to me it doesn't make sense for us to do uh standardized testing um next school year either i mean Ultimately, yes, I'm a proponent. I'm, I, I don't think that we should be doing standardized testing. I don't think standardized testing are fair to everyone. Uh, I think there's so many cultural biases mm-hmm. within the test questions, uh, the creation yes. of the test. As a special education person myself uh, who does, you know, who facilitates, well, not I don't personally facilitate, but our school psychologist facilitates the uh, intelligence test and, and, you know, the assessments that go along with that, even on the gifted and talented side of things and how Right. those assessments are, are being provided. I mean, standardized testing in general to me are culturally biased and they they are heavily uh, in favor of our white students and not necessarily of our students of color. So yeah, right. I would love to see some changes with the way that we quote unquote uh, assess to see if students have mastered their um, the content that the teacher is looking to have them to learn. So I did want to transition us into kind of a related topic of grades. Um, obviously, this is kind of our calling card. Um, mm-hmm. But you had a much quoted mm-hmm. statement and much tweeted statement from, I believe, a webinar saying, if we're grading right now, we're grading privilege. And great statement, um, you know, just captured so much of what I had been thinking and seeing, you know, in my own experience. Um I wondered what were some of the situations that you saw during the pandemic that led you to make that statement. And I guess if I, if I can broaden it somewhat, is that statement somewhat universally the case? I mean, in other words, not only under a pandemic. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's funny how the, I I don't know. I was, I was in a webinar and I said it because, you know, that's how I feel. And so I remember seeing it in my chat box of the the webinar. Someone said, I I wrote that down. I'm going to tweet it. (laughs) And sure enough, it just, it just kind of blew up from there. But yeah. And that's how I really feel. I mean, I mean, I just mentioned to you, I have, you know, I have a PhD, uh, special education director. I've, I've been a school principal. Uh, I've been a teacher and I have a first and a fourth grader who are doing homeschool. I'm homeschooling them. Mm. And um, so I had to think about that. And you know what really got me thinking about this whole privilege thing was yeah. thinking about my son who's in first grade, who's every day we would get an email of the, the next day's work. This is the lesson plans for tomorrow. And 
often they required printing out multiple worksheets for him to work on. Mm. I have the privilege to print out worksheets. I have a printer. I have a, I have ink. I have paper. I have everything that he needs in order to be successful in his school. That's me. That's our household. And I have to think there are so many other families, number one, who are dealing with homelessness, who are dealing with uh, other challenges at home. And honestly, school is not the top priority right there. Where Where's their next meal coming from might be on a higher you know, rung on their list of things to do for that day. Right. So if we're really providing grades and holding our students accountable and saying this is due on Wednesday or Friday, or you need to participate and show up to our daily meetings or weekly meetings and all of these things that in a perfect world makes sense. But when we mm. have to factor in all of the different variables out there where our kids are experiencing different levels of trauma, different levels of uh, support at home. Yeah. I mean, we got kids at home by themselves or kids that are having to work full time to pay the light bill because they're maybe one of their parents have lost their job, been laid off or whatever that might be. Uh, so there's so and stress of first responders, like my parent is a doctor or nurse or EMT or whatever they're in. They had to go out and serve uh, folks who are COVID-19 or quarantine and all that, like that stress that comes along with that. Arthur, I could go on for days about (laughs) why there's privilege. If we're grading, there's, there's, it's, it's just not fair. Okay. It's uh, bottom line. It's not fair for us to grade. Uh, I've seen situations where folks are saying, especially at the high school level, where they're like, well, we'll give them the option. You know, you can either do pass and complete, or you can, uh, do letter grades. Um, and, Obviously, if I'm in a household and I have all the bells and whistles, I have everything I need to be successful, I'm going to opt to take that letter grade versus our students who are less fortunate, who do not have all of the access, all the bells and whistles. And they'll probably more inclined to say, you know what, I'll take a pass and complete. So it's not it's not an equitable situation. Now, to go towards your second part of that question, is that a a universal topic? Yes. I would say yes. Our traditional yeah. grading practices aren't equitable anyway. Um, yeah. I think it's it's more exacerbated now with mm-hmm. quote-unquote online. I mean, I have folks that want to grade packets. And, I mean, honestly, packets to me, and I get it. I get that, you know, because, you know, at, at our school, we, we went with packets because we just we didn't have enough time to get everybody access to Wi-Fi and, 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 a, and a device. Right. So I, I totally understand that. But I mean, honestly, I mean, we we were getting, you know, some of the packets were coming in. Maybe they were some of them were incomplete. And I was looking at some of the packets being sent home and yeah. how thick they were. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, wow. Uh if I'm a 14 year old child and I see uh, a dissertation come, come my way, (laughs) that's, that's kind of tough for me to, to, to deal with in addition to everything else I have going on at home. So it's just at the end of the day, it's, it's to me, it's not equitable, but traditionally we, we do the whole letter grade system. So often, or I see teachers that will mark students late. And so they'll take 10 points off and uh, you know, if, if stuff isn't turned in on time or if they're coming tardy, you know, they use grades to, to impact behavior. And to right. me, 
those things don't make any sense. So yeah, we, we could really have conversations about that as well. Oh, so yeah. even when we come back to our school days, uh, when, whenever our schools open up, I really would like us to look at our traditional practices of, of, of grading as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I as I look over, um, you know, that document that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of being, you know, more, 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 culturally affirming, more asset based, mm-hmm. you know, as, as being some of the, some of the aspects of equity, um, being able to validate and value the funds of knowledge that students bring into the classroom. Um, you know, I really think that in some cases, and, and we're seeing it here, obviously in this crisis, but our methods of assessing and grading and reporting can actually undermine some of those goals. You know, we, we often as educators, we tend to focus more on control and, and compliance mm-hmm. in our classrooms. You know, yes. we tell our kids, you know, this is when you sit, this is when you stand, this is when you walk the halls, this is when you turn in, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. Um, this is how you speak in our class. Uh, yeah. you, you're supposed to utilize this language. Don't speak another language. I can't understand what you're saying, so I need you to speak English. We dictate so much, so often, how we want our students to be because we have in our minds what we expect our students to do and how we expect them to to behave it often oppresses a lot of the identities of our students if yes. if we tell a child i don't want you to speak spanish because i can't understand what you're saying that benefits us as an educator right yeah it doesn't benefit the student. And so not only does it not benefit the student, it suppresses their their identity. And so the only place that they're allowed to be themselves is outside of the school. To me, doesn't make any sense. If we're really trying to look at the whole child and if we're really, you know, we say these words and we say these things, but yet we still stifle our kids and uh, don't let them be themselves. Yeah. It's, it, it impacts negatively the relationship building. Because if we're not into something that a child is into, if you know, if we're not going to take the time to learn some some of the language or some of the cultures and traditions of our kids, the uniqueness of our kids, what makes them them, and we just group yeah. everybody one way and say this is how you're supposed to be, this is what I expect. Um, to me, that's that that can be a challenge. And and so yeah. when we're talking about being culturally responsive and culturally sustaining with our practices and pedagogy, those are the things that we have to start with. So I, I, would, I just want to end with, um, you know, you, you had a poignant video, I think, over the last couple of days um, where you reflected on some of the events that have that have occurred um, with with Amy Cooper and, mm-hmm. and, and the murder of George, George Floyd. And and I think a lot of equity teachers who have that aspiration of, of creating, uh, you know, equitable, anti-racist, uh, culturally sustaining spaces in schools you know, are at a, at a loss. And, and I think we have to frankly say that, um, you know, one of the one of the first experiences of oppression, institutional and state sanctioned oppression is schools. Um, and, and I guess I just would ask you to close with any thoughts that you have about, you know, where does a teacher that is interested in making a difference in this area 
go? What's the first step into making next year a more equitable, more more culturally sustaining, a more anti-racist place, you know, in light, especially of the events that we've seen over the last couple of weeks? It's, it starts with Um, self-awareness and, and that that's where I always start things because if we aren't aware of, so, okay, let me, let me back up because I have so many thoughts right now, Arthur. I, so, (laughs) so here's the thing. I know it's a big question. It's an enormous question. It's it's a, that was, you you threw it out there. So yeah, here's the thing. If we're looking at, okay, if we're talking about the the recent events that occurred um, Mm. and if I'm a white person, I should be upset. Okay. Even if it doesn't impact, even if I don't have a black child, uh, a best friend that's black or whatever it is. Right. Even if I don't have any of those things, if it doesn't personally impact me, I should still be upset. I've had conversations with uh, individual teachers that, you know, address maybe racial slurs and the way that Mm. they address a racial slur is, well, you know, your people are offended, would be offended by the N word or uh, this word or that word, you know, black people are offended by uh, these, you know, blackface or other things. These are offensive to black people, right? but it should be offensive to you as well. You know, yeah. if if you really feel like, you know, I'm about equity, uh, I'm about, uh, you know, social justice, and I'm really about, you know, making sure that individual needs are being met and that we're closely compliant and all these things, but we don't say anything and we just say, you know what, well, your people are probably upset or we just kind of quietly say, you know, yeah, I, I'm actually a little upset, but we don't publicly announce that or address it, then, yeah. you know, we're, we can be, compl- you know, it, it looks complicit. Right. And, yeah. you know, there's this quote and I'm, and I don't know it word for word, but it's yeah. basically when we don't say anything, we say a lot and yep. people that hear us not say anything or don't see us say anything about it may assume that we're okay with what's happening. So mm-hmm. I think if we start with ourselves and from there, we aren't afraid to address these things because we're fearful that, you know, we might lose some friends or uh, we're fearful that uh, we'll get some pushback. But, you know, I'm a black person. So, yeah, I'm going to speak to black issues. But it's it's nice to know that it's not just relative, uh, you know, it's not just me that's upset about it. It's nice to know that our white colleagues are also upset about this and believe that this there's a problem here. Um even though it doesn't impact me personally. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Ickens. Uh, there's obviously a lot of work to be done, and, and we're going to need all hands on deck to address the situation in our schools and in our country and, and with this pandemic moving forward. Um, I wanted to direct, once again, all of our listeners to your work as a great way to get started thinking about all of these different aspects next, uh, for next year. Uh, in addition to your website, leadingequitycenter.com, uh, what are some of the things we should be looking out for from you in the coming months? Well, in the coming months, uh, actually this summer, July 10th through 11th, I have a live virtual summit that I'll be doing, uh, hosting through the center. It is entitled Creating a New Normal. Mm. And so we have... Uh, you know, we'll have some concurrent sessions from educators uh, who are, you know, we're basically going to address, 
you know, what do we need to be thinking about as we're going into the next school year? You know, how do we address uh, social emotional support? How do we ad- address equity in digital spaces? How do we address uh, parent and, and community uh, teacher wellness and, and all these different subjects that we need to start thinking about as we move into the 2021 school year? Very good. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for your work, Dr. Aikens, and, and for spending this time with us today. Arthur, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. My guest has been Dr. Sheldon Aikens, founder of the Leading Equity Center and host of the Leading Equity Podcast. You can find Dr. Aikens at his website, leadingequitycenter.com, and on Twitter at Sheldon Aikens. That concludes today's episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check out our website at teachersgoinggradeless.com, our Facebook group, Teachers Going Gradeless, or you can follow us on Twitter at TG2Chat. Please subscribe to the podcast to catch future installments of TG2Cast. Thanks for listening.